Well, good morning, Abundant Life. Uh, my name is Mike, and as always, it is an absolute honor to be with you today. I remember once, way back in 1999, I was having a day off. My buddies and I decided we were going to go to the movies, and so we all walk into the theater, and I was going in dark. I had no idea the movie we were going to see. I had never heard of it. I had never even seen a movie poster. So I turned to my buddy, and I say, hey, what's the deal with this movie anyway? And he says, uh, I don't really know. Apparently, it has the same actor as Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, which I'm like, sounds awesome because Bill and Ted, you know, they set the bar pretty high. And then the lights go down and the movie begins and my hair gets blown back for two hours and 16 minutes. It was the most confusing, awesome, the definition of cool. I had no idea what was going on. But when the final credits rolled, I was so glad that I had taken that ride. The movie was called The Matrix, starring Keanu Reeves and Lawrence Fishburne. And I honestly barely understood what was happening. My brain was doing somersaults. My heart was pounding the entire time. And my confusion was really similar to Neo's confusion throughout the movie. That was the main character. But when the credits rolled, I was so thankful to have taken that ride. I was so glad he chose the red pill. I, I was so glad he learned Kung Fu. I was so glad he believed he was the one. And of course, if you're familiar with it, Fishburne's Morpheus character has inspired millions since with his deep, resonant meme voice, what if I told you? Oh, inspirational. <laughs> and in a very similar sort of way, this movie is a parable or a metaphor of our faith journey. Hitching your wagon to Jesus is a bit like a roller coaster. You might not understand exactly what he's inviting you into. You might not understand all the twists and turns the road will have. You will certainly be confused at times. But friends, it is a ride you will be so glad that you've taken. When the final credits roll, you'll be so thankful that you chose his adventure. And today, in this series, we're continuing called Little Story, Big Picture. What we're looking at is the book of Genesis, and the story is the story of Joseph. And I can imagine Joseph might have felt a little bit confused, like I was, or like Neo was, because it's way more confusing to be living a story than it is to be watching one. And certainly, Joseph's story contains more confusion than most. You might remember his story. And if not, I encourage you, go back into the book of Genesis and read it. It's fantastic. But remember, he was raised as a favorite son in his father's home. He had received this special robe from dad and these glorious dreams from God. The expectations were set very high for his life. And then it seemingly went haywire. You might remember he was attacked by his brothers and sold into slavery. He was taken into a distant land where he worked as a slave and he rose his way through the ranks in Potiphar's house. He worked as a servant for Potiphar's estate and eventually he became the one who was in charge of the entire estate. But then he was falsely accused. He was wrongfully imprisoned. And this is where we pick up the story today. So you might imagine that Joseph was confused as to how his life was progressing. You might imagine that in a dark moment, he just said, God, what is going on? What about those dreams you gave me? But friends, in spite of Joseph's confusion, he chose to live in hope. 
He chose to live in hope and Joseph's hope in God had tangible expressions. It drove the way he lived. As he lived in hope, God blessed him and was with him just as God blesses us and is with us as we live faith-filled, hope-filled lives. And that would continue even as Joseph is wrongfully kept in this Egyptian prison. You see, what Joseph finds out is what we can learn today. Your prison can be your preparation. Your prison can actually be your preparation. Again, we go back to Morpheus who says, what if I told you? Right? And then he drops some massive knowledge on us. What if I told you the alphabet song is really twinkle, twinkle, little star? Okay, that's, forget about that. Here's what the scripture says in Genesis 39, 21 through 23. It says, but the Lord was with Joseph in the prison and showed him his faithful love. And the Lord made Joseph a favorite with the prison warden. Before long, the warden put Joseph in charge of all the other prisoners and over everything that happened in that prison. The warden had no more worries because Joseph took care of everything. The Lord was with him and caused everything he did to succeed. Oh, friends, this is such an encouraging passage. The Lord was with Joseph. Well, friends, he's with us too, right? We have Jesus Emmanuel, which means God is with us. No matter where we are, no matter what's going on, no matter what we're up against, Jesus is with us. And notice, because God was with Joseph, Joseph flourished. God gave him favor and made him a favorite. And just remember, this is really true over the course of Joseph's life. Joseph was favored in his father's house. So Jacob could rest easy because Joseph was able to kind of keep tabs on and and give reports on how his brothers were doing. Uh, He was favored in Potiphar's house as the estate manager. He took care of all of Potiphar's holdings. He took care of his finances, his livestock, his agriculture, his real estate. And and he was favored in that context. And then now we see as a prisoner, he's favored and he's placed in charge of the prison. He's in charge of all the prisoners and the warden is loving life. But I want you to notice that this is how Joseph is responding to his circumstances. You see, what is Joseph's attitude in all of this? What is he doing? Is he whining? Is he throwing a pity party? Is, is he just woe is meing? No. Friends, please understand what Joseph's doing. He's doing exactly what anybody would do who is absolutely convinced that God is still at work in his life. You see, Joseph is living in hope and the practical manifestations of this hope are so evident. Joseph is responsible. He's wise. He's diligent. He is optimistic. He's a linchpin employee. He's hardworking. He's creative. And this is a principle of God's favor. As we live like this, promotions and blessings naturally follow. They almost always just naturally follow when we live like Joseph is living. And friends, even if promotions don't come, this is still the best, most satisfying, most enjoyable way for us to approach any season we find ourselves in. And what I want you to notice is that each season of Joseph's life prepared him for the next season. Right? This lesson we can see most easily when we look back over the course of our life, when we utilize hindsight. But the lesson for us to learn is simply this, that God is preparing you 
for what God is preparing for you. God is preparing you now for what God is preparing for you in the future. And you see, Joseph didn't know exactly what was coming next, just like we don't. He couldn't see the front side of the tapestry, only the back side with all of its threads and colors and knots and its messiness. So how did he keep moving forward? How did he keep rising when all of the time the circumstances seemed to be against him? And the answer, my friends, is Joseph did exactly what anybody would do who was absolutely convinced that God was still at work in his life. All right, let's keep going. Time passes in Joseph's life. And now the Pharaoh's cupbearer and Pharaoh's baker are thrown into the prison where Joseph is. The Bible doesn't say how they got thrown into prison. And I really can't imagine what a cupbearer and a baker could do to get thrown into prison. Maybe the cupbearer handed a Merlot when a cab was required. Maybe the baker's cream puffs weren't puffy enough. I don't, I don't know. The Bible doesn't say. But Pharaoh throws them into prison and Joseph is assigned to look after them. He's been promoted again and he's in charge of their care. And this is what it says in Genesis 40, verse five and through eight. While they were in prison, Pharaoh's cupbearer and baker each had a dream one night and each dream had its own meaning. When Joseph saw them the next morning, he noticed they both looked upset. Why do you look so worried today? He asked them. And they replied, we both had dreams last night, but no one can tell us what they mean. Interpreting dreams is God's business, Joseph replied. Go ahead and tell me your dreams. I love this because Joseph is paying attention, right? He listened with his ears and with his eyes and he, he could tell something was going on. And I just want you to understand that Joseph has grown. You know, if you go back to the beginning of the story, we find a Joseph who's a little immature, who's not very emotionally intelligent. He has these grandiose dreams where his brothers are bowing down to him. So he keeps talking about these dreams again and again and again, not noticing how upset his brothers are becoming, right? Not very emotionally intelligent. But here we see that there's been a lot of growth. His compassion has grown. His caregiving ability has grown. And and, and this is a good challenge for you and I to grow forward, to grow through the challenges we face, to grow through our trials, to grow in terms of how we care, how we listen, how we show up for people, how we communicate compassion. Because this is one of the things that God does. He allows us to grow through our circumstances and it produces our character. In fact, that's the lesson that Joseph is teaching us through this passage. Your prison can produce your character. Your prison can produce the good character that God desires for us. Or rather, in Morpheus's words, what if I told you your prison can produce your character. That's my best Morpheus. That's all I got. By the way, friends, I want you to understand that any situation you and I are in can actually produce good character and grow us closer to God. Any situation. The flip side of that is also true. Any situation or any circumstance can provide an excuse for us to become more shallow, more selfish, and to draw us away from the Lord. It's really true. I say this because sometimes I talk to people who think that the reason why their faith is struggling or the reason why their character isn't developing is because of their circumstances. 
But I want you to understand that it doesn't matter what circumstances we're in. You are not the way you are because of your circumstances. We actually have a chance to grow through whatever circumstances we face. Whether they're difficult, we can grow through those. Whether there's blessing, we can grow through those as well. Our circumstances are merely the setting. Choosing to respond well to them, well, that's what Joseph does. So Joseph conducts himself in a blessable way. He grows through his circumstances. He leads upward. He leads outward. And because of his increased character, God increases his capacity. That's the next lesson in this story, that our increased character results in increased capacity. Increased character results in increased capacity. And so in prison, Just like throughout the course of his life, God and Joseph are close. Joseph has drawn near to God. They're they're doing this thing together. So Joseph's quick to point out, hey, dream interpretation, that's something only God can do. But then he says, "Uh, but just so you know, I'm I'm pretty close to God. I talk to him every day. So go ahead and, and tell me your dream. Here's a quick side note on prophetic dreams. Let me just talk to you for a second. Absolutely, I've seen them at work. In fact, when a personal good friend of mine, uh, her family was over in Kenya. This was many years ago. And she had a dream one night that while her parents were in Kenya, she had a dream that they were gonna adopt two boys. And in her dream, she was even given names. So the next day she wakes up, she calls her folks in Kenya. She tells them about the dream. And then they tell her, that God has led them to two boys and told them to adopt these boys, same names. This is an incredible family. That is a prophetic dream. I also want you to know that not all dreams are prophetic. Last week, I had a vivid dream of driving in the rain with my buddy, Jesse, when suddenly I have to swerve to avoid a beaver in the road shooting lasers out of its eyes, but I don't. I hit the beaver, it gets caught in the wheel well. I pull over in a Safeway parking lot to examine the damage. Friends, that was nothing more than a bit of late night pizza knocking around in this empty noggin of mine, okay? So we have to use discernment. That's what Joseph is doing here. Here's what the scripture says. So the chief cupbearer told Joseph his dream first. In my dream, he said, I saw a grapevine in front of me. The vine had three branches that began to bud and blossom and soon produced clusters of ripe grapes. I was holding Pharaoh's wine cup in my hand. So I took a cluster of grapes and squeezed the juice into the cup. Then I placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. This is what the dream means, Joseph says. The three branches represent three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift you up and restore you to your position as his chief cupbearer. And please remember me and do me a favor when things go well for you. Mention me to Pharaoh so that he might let me out of this place. For I was kidnapped from my homeland, the land of of the Hebrews, and now I'm here in prison, but I did nothing to deserve it. So Joseph's able to bring encouragement. He says, you can be encouraged. God is at work behind the scenes. In three days, you will be restored. And then Joseph says, remember me, right? Now the baker has a dream as well, and and we don't have time to go into it, uh, but it's not a good dream. It's with three baskets of bread, uh, but these don't just refer to a carb-heavy diet. Uh, They represent how long he has left until Pharaoh impales him for his crimes. Um, Sorry to deliver this. Uh, This is the definition of a bad dream. 
And so both dreams that Joseph interprets, they both come to pass. And this is because they're God's dreams, the, the prophetic dreams, the same type of dream that God gave Joseph when he was just a boy. And so the scripture goes on, Genesis 40, verse 20 and following. Pharaoh's birthday came three days later and he prepared a banquet for all his officials and staff. He summoned the chief cupbearer and the chief baker to join the other officials. He then restored the chief cupbearer to his formal position so he could again hand Pharaoh his cup. But Pharaoh impaled the chief baker just as Joseph had predicted when he interpreted his dream. Pharaoh's chief cupbearer, however, forgot all about Joseph, never giving him another thought. Now, the word I want you to focus on in that passage is the simple word forgot. He, he forgot. The cupbearer just forgot about Joseph. He forgot to do a very small kindness. He was ecstatic that Joseph was right. And he launched into his new life, I'm sure, with gratitude. But he forgot the person who comforted him in prison, the person who cared for him in prison, the person who correctly interpreted the dream for him. And it's a question I want you to dwell on right now. Who do you need to remember? Who is it that that has done some kindness for you or who is it in your life that you need to reach out to and to communicate care or love or, or thanks to? Is there anyone in your life that you have forgotten that you need to reach out to today? Maybe today's the day that you write that kind email. Today's the day you send that note. Today's the day you pick up the phone and make that call. Don't forget. People forget. But you realize God doesn't forget. Never will you find a verse in the Bible that says, and God forgot all about Joseph. It's just not there. In fact, what you'll find is the opposite. It's verses like God remembered, or God saw, or God heard. He knows us. He's committed to us. He makes good on his promises, unlike the cupbearer, because the very next verse in the Bible says this, when two full years had passed, it's not even its own sentence. It's just a little phrase. When two full years have passed, it, it's just an aside. But I want you to see that a clause like this is an example of Bible time. It's an example of Bible time. And Bible time is very simple. It's like measuring time like a bungee cord. If you stretch it out, like, you know, make a linear line and you're, you're measuring that, well, it, it's pretty long. And that's how you and I experience time. But if you let it be relaxed and you measure it, it's a totally different experience. And that's how God views time. In fact, it says this in 2 Peter 3.8, with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years like a day. In fact, a, a semi-current example of Bible time would be with the Chicago Cubs, right? You might know it as this. Uh, one championship with the Chicago Cubs is like 108 years. 108 years is like one championship. By the way, that's just for my buddy, Pastor Don. See, God sees things differently than we do, which means that he fulfills his promises and his plans in his timeline, and it's going to be different than ours. Here's a few biblical examples. From the time God promised a new country to Abraham, it took a couple hundred years for that promise to be totally 
fulfilled. <clears throat> Excuse me, that's Bible time. When God promised his people who were being sent into exile that he had plans for them and they were for good and not for ill, that they, he was gonna prosper them and they weren't for harm. That was in Jeremiah 29, 11. One verse earlier in verse 10, he also says, it's gonna be about 70 years until this moves toward fulfillment. That's Bible time. King David is anointed as king of Israel two decades before he actually takes up the post as king. Friends, that's Bible time. And Joseph has been promised greatness. But as it has unfolded, he has been beaten and he's been enslaved. And now he's forgotten in prison. And all we have is this little phrase, and two full years had passed. So I I tell you this because thinking in Bible time gives us a higher perspective. It it gives us that 30,000 foot level, that eternal perspective. And it helps us to manage the expectations as to what's going on in our life and how God is with us in it. In fact, the apostle Paul says this, we do not lose heart. It's a beautiful thing to keep in mind. We don't lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away. Inwardly, we are being renewed day by day for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Oh, praise God. Friends, we get so impatient for what we want now or what we understand God has promised to us. We want it now. God, bring your plan to fruition in my life now. And that impatience ends up urging us to sometimes make huge mistakes. Many of us end up regretting decisions we make when we're impatient and mostly their temptations to bail, to bail on a business or bail on a marriage or bail on a mortgage or even just bail on faith. Those are the temptations of impatience, to not wait on God, to not trust that he is working behind the scenes and that Bible time is unfolding. So friends, don't lose heart. I wanna encourage you today to reset the clock. Here's my advice, give it some time. Give God a chance to glorify his name by fulfilling his plans for you. And you know, the Bible says this, they that wait upon the Lord will renew their strength, right? They, They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not fade. Those who wait upon the Lord, But I want you to understand that it's not merely wait. Two definitions of waiting. One is you just do nothing. You you just sit around idle. You waste time. You check your watch. That's one form of waiting. But the other form of waiting is what a wait staff does at a restaurant. They're scanning. They're they're looking to see needs. They're, They're ready to serve. That's a good definition of wait. We want to be looking for what God's doing. We want to be getting in on it. We want to be ready to serve. That's the kind of waiting. Those that wait upon the Lord will renew their strengths. So that's what Joseph did. That's the example he sets. And in his life, things seemed to go from bad to worse for 13 years. You know, he did not know the end of the story. It would have been easy for him to despair or to bail on God, but he didn't, just the opposite. You know, Joseph served his father well. 
He served Potiphar well. He served the prison guard well. He let prison be his preparation. He allowed prison to produce his character. He lived with the absolute certainty that God was still at work in his life. He acted like someone who was supremely confident that God's plan would come to fruition. He was steadfast, even though his circumstances didn't seem to line up with God's plans. So friends, I want to say to you really, really clearly that just because you don't understand doesn't mean it doesn't make sense. God sees, God knows, God's plan is unfolding. Our responsibility has never been to understand it all. Our responsibility is to simply ask ourselves, what would someone do today in my circumstances who was absolutely confident that God was at work in their life? What would someone do in my job? What would someone do in this marriage? What would someone do with these kiddos? What would someone do with my problems who was absolutely beyond a shadow of a doubt convinced that God was at work behind the scenes, that Bible time was unfolding and that God's plans would come to fruition? You see, friends, this is what living in hope looks like. A definition for hope is simply this, holding on with patient expectation. Holding on with patient expectation. And that's how Joseph lived. Joseph lived in hope and he did exactly what he was supposed to do. He didn't bail out, he leaned in. And so Joseph's prison was just a practice field to prepare him for his dreams and to produce his character. Because many of you know the story of Joseph. And you know that Joseph is just about ready to receive a promotion. If you continue reading this story in Genesis, which I highly recommend, you'll see that he is about to receive a promotion that changes his entire life. It changes the course of history for Israel and in fact, the world. It turns out, by the way, to be the shortest route possible from the backwater country that he lived in as a boy to becoming the most powerful man on planet earth. A shortcut orchestrated like only God could orchestrate along a pathway that nobody could have predicted. And friends, that's how God delights in working. He loves taking us on unpredictable pathways. One of my favorite verses in all of the scriptures is Psalm 77, 19. And it's this, talking about the Lord. God, your road led through the sea, your pathway through the mighty waters, a pathway no one knew was there. And of course, that's referencing when God led the Israelites through the Red Sea. They thought they were trapped. They thought there was no way forward. And then God parted the waters and showed them a dry road. They had no idea was there. See, God does that. God is doing that even in your life. That's why we live in hope. Because you might be there. You might be like Joseph. You might feel like I'm in prison. I'm, a, I'm, I'm imprisoned in these circumstances. I don't know where to go. I don't know how to proceed. You have to trust that God will show you a pathway. He will lead you along a dry pathway that nobody knows is there. He does that with Joseph. He did that with the Israelites. Friends, I, I even want to tell you, he, he does it with Jesus. He does it with Jesus. I, I, get, I get chills. When I think about the reality that who knew? 
that salvation, the pathway to, to salvation for my life, for your life, for, for, for eternal life, ab- abundant, joyful, eternal life. Who knew that the pathway led through a cross and through an empty tomb and through the ascension of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, so that he is now at the right hand of the Father. Who knew that was the pathway? God did. He delights in leading us along pathways, taking us on roads that nobody knows is there. And friends, that's why we can live in hope. We can't see the road ahead, but God knows exactly where it leads. So friends, church, do not give up. Do not give up. No matter what's going on in your life, don't give up. Right now, God is preparing you. Right now, God is producing his character within you. Right now, he is at work in your life. So don't give up. Don't bail out. Hold on with patient expectation. Hold on to God's promises in hope. Friends, this is the story of Joseph. And it's this, this little story of a life. But man, it's a part of the big picture that God has for you and for me. And if you're anything like me, we need his help to do this. So why don't you bow your heads and close your eyes and let's just ask Jesus for help, okay? Lord Jesus, what we wanna do is we wanna do exactly what we see Joseph doing. We wanna live in hope like we see Joseph living in hope. We we wanna live with this kind of hope-filled expectation that you are with us that you are present in our lives, that you are favoring us as we walk in faith-filled hope with you. And Lord, all of us recognize that, that, that circumstances are very rarely ideal. But for you, and what Joseph shows us is that circumstances, all that is, is the setting. What, what you want from us is you want us to hold on to your hand and you want us to walk faithfully and in a hope-filled way with you through whatever the circumstances are in our life so that we can see your plans come to fruition. We can see that you are preparing us for the next season of life. You're producing in us your character. And Jesus, we hold on to this hope that when the time is right, when the Bible time has come to its fruition, that you will promote us. Yeah, you will elevate us in exactly the place that you have planned for us. So Lord, we love you. We receive all of these promises now from your word. And we just say, thank you. We wanna live in gratitude. We wanna live in, in closeness with you. So we ask that you would fill us with your hope today and let us walk joyfully with you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.